0: Please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John and chapter 12. John chapter 12 in our Bibles. Many of you know that this this Lord's Day marks the beginning of what has come to be known as the Passion Week of our Lord. The term passion in this case um, refers to intense suffering and to death, and this week Uh, That we are entering into is the anniversary week in which the lord did endure intense suffering And faced the death on the cross and was buried And this particular week in the life of jesus is the focal point of the gospel records Uh, By one count 33 percent of the gospel of matthew is given over to a record of this one week in the life of christ 37% uh, of the Gospel of Mark, 25% of the Gospel of Luke, and then it jumps all the way to 42% of the Gospel of John is given over to this one week in the life of the Lord. So out of 33 and a half years of his life and out of three and a half years of public ministry, an overwhelming uh, majority of the material is devoted to these days, as he is directly headed to the cross, to his death, on the cross, to his burial and his resurrection. When Wilbur Smith wrote an introduction to F.W. Krumacher's devotional book entitled The Suffering Savior, Smith said, The most important, world-transforming, and eternally significant event in the entire history of the earth is the death of the Son of God upon the cross erected at Golgotha. And then Smith cites the words of Hebrews when he writes, Here once, at the end of the ages, did Christ put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then Smith adds, By this act and by no other are we reconciled to God. And so, even though we we aren't able to gather together uh, this week in these unusual days, we do anticipate remembering the Passion Week with a special emphasis, and we'll be communicating of, the, of those themes throughout the week. When we turn our attention to the first day of the Passion Week, it is actually, in many respects, a stark contrast uh, with what follows. And I've mentioned already that the word passion in, in this case, the sense in which it's found in this phrase, is uh, referring to intense suffering and death. But this first day of the passion week has come to be known as palm sunday And the focus of this day has has come to be known as the triumphal entry into jerusalem uh, You can read of uh, the triumphal entry in in matthew 21 You can read of it in mark chapter 11 luke chapter 19 But I've had us turn to john's gospel this morning because of the particular details that john records and some of the connections that That are established and I want us to start all the way back in verse number one If you'll notice there in john chapter 12 and verse 1 Then jesus six days Before the passover came to bethany Where lazarus was which had been dead Whom he had raised from the dead and the record of Lazarus' death and the mourning and Jesus calling him out of the grave is uh, recorded in the entirety of of John chapter 11. Bethany uh, would be considered a a small satellite community of Jerusalem, Uh, was just east of the city proper on the other side of a hill uh, known as the Mount of Olives and. Uh, the, the Mount of Olives for perspective would be a mountain that is probably bigger than some of the ski slopes that we had uh, in Wisconsin uh, but against the backdrop of, of you know like the Rocky Mountains or a range of that kind of significance the Mount of Olives would have been a relatively small hill but Bethany is just on the other side of, of this mountain and the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus is located in Bethany As we head into verse number two, we can see that this family had prepared a a supper uh, for Jesus. And if you look down in verse nine, I know we're jumping a little bit, but you can just see right from the beginning that there were many people present at this dinner. Now, it is, of course, normal uh, for friends and family to gather together in support of, of those that have lost a loved one. And and uh, for many of us I think uh, there are two times that we get to see a number of our friends and family it would be at a wedding or a funeral and and a number of people it seems had started to gather in support of this family on account of the death of Lazarus and of course when they they got there they ended up being able to witness a miracle like like had never been seen Jesus just ended Uh, the grieving over that death by saying, Lazarus, come forth, and calling him uh, right out of the grave after he had been there for four days. Before John goes any further, though, it's like there's a parenthesis as he's speaking of uh, the ramifications of that event. He stops to talk about Mary in verse number three and and following, and her, her pouring, as you can see there, costly ointment on the feet of Jesus, and From cross-referencing multiple texts uh, which speak of the typical wages of the day and the amount that it's talked about here that that mary poured out most estimate that that uh, the value of what mary poured out on the feet of jesus was about one year's worth of wages this was certainly what some have described as an extravagant display of devotion towards our lord and, and because of its extravagance, it was, um, it was both criticized by others. You can read of that if we continued. And it was also commended, though, by the Lord. And, and specifically, if you'll look in verse number 7, the Lord declared that she had anointed him against the day of his what? You can see it there, against the day of his burial. She's anointing him for his burial while he's still alive. And it's hard from our vantage point now to know exactly what uh, Mary was thinking about the Lord's death, uh, his burial, and this ointment. Um, You could perhaps look back. Chapter 11, verse 53, um, tells us that the religious leadership had purposed already to seek the death of Jesus. Maybe she was more attentive in general than, than the 12 when the Lord Had told them on multiple occasions that he was going to suffer a violent death in jerusalem, but one way or another Mary is sensing that her opportunity to display her devotion And um, and her opportunity to display her love was coming to a close And after highlighting mary's devotion John now returns to the broader scene and we'll come down to verse number nine now much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus sake only but that they might see Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death and I think you're able to track this but I'm just going to pause to point out that the Reason why the word also is found here in verse 10 is because they had already been talking about how to put Jesus to death, and now they're talking about how to put Lazarus to death also. And the reason for that is verse number 11 because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. And at some point, at this point, someone might say, you know, Pastor, I have all, I've never understood why the, the religious leaders hated Jesus so much. Well, there's certainly more than one motivation, but, but Pilate in Matthew 27 and verse 18 knew that for envy they had delivered Jesus to him. And here they're not only wanting uh, to put Jesus to death, but they're wanting to put Lazarus to death because people are believing on Jesus because of Lazarus. Though the leaders were seeking to kill now both Lazarus and Jesus, verse 12 um, talks to us, begins to report about the response of the common people. And you can see verse 12, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast. And this feast In Jerusalem was um, the Feast of the Passover. One historian indicates that by this point, uh, some 260,000 Passover lambs were being offered um, during the week in Jerusalem. One lamb could be offered for uh, up to 10 people, not always, of course, Uh, was it offered for 10 But they estimate that the crowd in Jerusalem that week could very well have been around 2 million people. In fact, another first century author by the name of Josephus uh, indicated that the estimate some years was closer to 3 million people. And so you think about uh, these great crowds and notice what it says when at the end of verse number 12. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem verse 13 they took branches of palm trees now these were branches from what would uh, be called date palms and they would often grow according to sources up to 10 feet high in in length and they were regarded as a symbol of of triumph and of victory Cicero's, uh, cicero is a name that That you would know as a Roman statesman, and and he referred to a man of great success as a man of many palms. One of the books of Jewish history from the intertestamental period, between the Old and the New Testaments, you may have heard uh, of the Maccabees before, and and one of the reports of the Maccabees was saying that on the 23rd day of the second month in the uh, 171st year, the Jews entered it with praise and palm branches and with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments with hymns and songs because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. So you can see this, this combination of these palm branches and, and praise and all the music and, and the celebration of triumph and victory. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, just to give another reference, we learn that the worship of Jesus in heaven will actually include palm branches. So in terms of of the portrait of this scene, these branches really are a significant component. And notice as we continue to read, they take these palm branches, uh, verse number 13, and they went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel, that cometh in the name of the Lord. And if you do not have a marginal note uh, in your Bible at this point, you want to jot down Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Because these people in saying this, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel, that cometh in the name of the Lord. They're... they're, using a saying whether they're intentionally quoting or not they're using a saying that comes out of that psalm and that was a psalm uh where they that that is referring to the messiah they are ascribing messianic titles and acclamation to jesus Um, that that expression hosanna was a frequently used explanation which means save us um Matthew 21 and verse 9 indicates that the crowd was saying, Hosanna to the son of David. So they knew his lineage. They knew what the miracles were testifying about his identity. They they were in effect saying, save us now, great Messiah. Save us now. And they added then what their previous words were implying when they said blessed is the king of israel they're now stating openly their belief that he is their long-awaited deliverer and king these adoring crowds had previously moved to make him a king on another occasion and uh, we read about it right here in john so turn back to chapter 6 and john chapter 6 says this chapter opens there's a great multitude following him because of his miracles and he ends up feeding uh, the five thousand with one little boy's lunch and after the people saw that power notice verse number 15 here of john chapter 6 when jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king notice on that occasion he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So on that previous occasion, he resisted their attempts to make him a king, clearly because it was not his father's timing. But on this occasion, he actually does nothing to silence the acclamations. Save us now, great king! We're going to come back to John 12, but first of all, go to Luke chapter 19, just a couple pages back, Luke chapter 19, and uh, we'll come down to verse number 37. Notice Luke 19 and verse 37 says, and when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest and some of the pharisees from among the multitude said unto him master rebuke thy disciples and he answered and said unto them i tell you that if these should hold their peace the stones would immediately cry out and so you can see that on this occasion he's doing nothing to silence the praise being heaped on him go back to chapter 12 of john and we'll see that not only did did he not silence the crowds but we're going to actually see him adopt very purposeful meaningful choice in terms of of the mode of his transportation Uh, john chapter 12 again and and we'll pick it up in verse number 14 we read through verse 13 they took the palm branches and 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 were crying out blesses the king of israel notice verse 14 and jesus when he had found a young donkey sat there on and so the, the mode of transportation that day was the cult a young donkey the cult of a donkey and that may not seem real significant at first glance but notice the next phrase as it was what as it was written so this specific mode of transportation for the messiah had been foretold for many years earlier and the reference that you want to attach to this right here is Zechariah 9 and verse 9. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 you want to write it in your margin and i'll just read it to you it says rejoice greatly o daughter of zion shout o daughter of jerusalem Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon a donkey, a colt the foal of a donkey. And so as this scripture that spoke of the king coming on a young donkey, as the scripture is being fulfilled, these people that form the, the adoring throngs are rejoicing because for the first time, He's not keeping them, as it were, at arm's distance. For the first time, he's actually doing more to kindle their passionate praise. And for the sake of time, I want to have us skip down to verse number 19. And notice verse 19. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how you prevail nothing? Behold, the world has gone after him. And that, that certainly was, was an overstatement on the part of the Pharisees. But nonetheless, this is how they felt after observing such a scene. We don't know if it's hundreds, thousands, how many are on this kind of parade route, if you will. But as they're singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees are feeling like the whole world has gone after him. And we should add that this event was not just, you know, some kind of like a 30 second standing ovation like that of a parade. People walk by and, and we clap for them. In, in Matthew's account, the 21st chapter, uh, we learn that the atmosphere accompanying this procession continued all the way down that mountain, down into uh, the Kidron Valley, up into Jerusalem through that eastern gate and they followed him right up into the temple where he healed the blind and the lame and they continued right up into the temple precincts crying out hosanna to the son of david and you take this whole picture and i've just tried to somewhat hurriedly walk through the scene making some of these connections but but palm sunday and the triumphal entry, they are fitting descriptions for this day. And what a glorious day it was. Jesus riding into town, surrounded by, as sometimes people have said, thousands of hosannas. And, and he's letting this ancient prophecy about Zechariah develop itself in all aspects of the procession. And, and really, he is calmly receiving the homage that is due him. As one man wrote, nothing under heaven is more fully proved than that the Lord Jesus knew himself to be the God-man, the Messiah, the King who had been promised and expected for thousands of years. And this self-awareness and scriptural awareness even of Jesus does remind us That everything the Lord will go on to suffer later in this week. He suffered voluntarily. He knew himself to be king of kings and lord of lords. But everything he's going to suffer at the end of this week is something that he's going to suffer voluntarily. John chapter 10 and verse 11. He declared, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. Later in that same chapter, verse number 17, Jesus said, I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. We started all the way back um, at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus at the beginning of this chapter to, to hear the Lord speak of Mary's anointing him against the day of his bearing. To hear him, be aware of that coming soon. It's clear again that Zechariah's prophecy is is very much in his mind as he sat on the cult of the donkey. Later in this night, uh, later later in this week, on the night of his betrayal, he's going to quote another verse in Zechariah when he said, "Smite the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered," and. That very prophecy in that verse in Zechariah speaks of a sword being raised violently against the Lord's anointed. And by referencing all of these matters, again, Mary and and the anointing and and, uh, Zechariah and all of what he's allowing the, the people to say about him. By referencing all of this, again, he's letting us know that he knew in advance what would happen. And he would endure it voluntarily. And brethren, I, I really believe that this is why there is a difference now. Between the Lord keeping people at arm's distance in the past when they wanted to make him king. And his allowing all of the praise and all of the attention to come. Is because on this occasion, he's going into Jerusalem. And he's going there ultimately To lay down his life on the cross. And that's the focus that he wanted to draw attention to on his first coming into the world. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45 says, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That that title, the Son of Man, is the title for the one that Daniel 7 records will receive from the Father, a worldwide, exclusive, unending kingdom. This Son of Man, this, this King, though in His first coming, was not about the, the King setting up His kingdom with all of the pomp and pageantry involved. This first coming was about the king laying down his life to pay the price of of the pardon for those that have uh, rebelled against the rule of god and he wanted now all the attention to come so that people would follow him right up to the cross and in some ways we're already speaking of it but this triumphal entry scene and all that we're observing does specifically point to the meekness and condescension of our Lord. Every every big picture vantage point where we look on Jesus does that. But the fact that he sat on uh, the colt of a donkey is specific witness to that fact. When, when Zechariah told and foretold of this event, he pointed us to think of the Lord's lowliness. Thy king cometh unto thee lowly, sitting on uh, a colt, sitting on a donkey in the, the, the colt of a donkey. When, when Matthew quotes uh, Zechariah, Matthew 21 verse 5, he used the word meek to refer to the mild disposition and the gentleness of this king who comes riding in this way. And and the the ones whose adoration he welcomed were not the elite and, and not the mighty, but the ones in the parade route of that day, so to speak, were the common people. It's interesting because condescension is an attribute of the administration of jesus rule to this very day the apostle paul would write it's not many wise not many noble not many mighty that follow him to this day it was as you know children that he often welcomed it is everyone that will humble himself as a little child that becomes his subject this day many that have sweetly submitted to his authority and are loyal subjects of the king are from the lower end of society and reside in so-called humble homes and in some cases in entirely impoverished countries aren't you thankful that the lord condescends to touch lives like those and to touch lives like ours The triumphal entry reminds us that the Lord went to the cross voluntarily. It it, it displays the Lord's meekness and condescension. And then I would have you note that the triumphal entry is one witness to the fact that if you will truly take Jesus by a saving faith, you will have to take him for all that he is. He is Savior and King. And just because he hasn't yet set up his earthly throne doesn't mean that he isn't king. The very expression, Lord, and some of you were with us on Wednesday nights when we had a series on saving faith, and we explored this at some length, but, but the very expression, Lord, when referring to Jesus, refers to both his deity and his authority. To call Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. To call on the Lord is to call on one with authority. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is to cast your dependence on one who is the anointed king with all authority. A.W. Tozer wrote in the mid-1900s that the increasingly popular evangelical view, as he described it that, and I'm going to quote him, that there is no need to present, to surrender, to obey Christ. Just come to him and believe on him as Savior, Tozer said, is flatly heretical. We take him for what he is, the anointed Savior and Lord, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. James Montgomery Boyce wrote, There is only one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and anyone who believes in a Savior who is not the Lord is not believing the true Christ and is not regenerate. This event witnesses to the fact that Jesus has been and is and will be King. And to call on the Lord Jesus Christ to believe on Him is to involve an element of surrender to the authority of Jesus Christ. And then I would have us note that this event is also a foretaste of another one which is to come. On another occasion, he will come from heaven... And again, some of this is communicated in the book of Zechariah, but he's going to come. His feet will literally, physically touch the Mount of Olives. And then he is, again, going to ride into Jerusalem. And he's going to ride through what is now the blocked-up eastern gate. And he is, again, going to take full possession of his own temple. And on that occasion... He's not going to come on a donkey's colt. Let me just read Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming again, this time on a white horse, and all will see him and know him to be King of kings and Lord of lords. We ought not to think that because he, in this case, voluntarily submitted to suffering and death, we ought not to think that because he condescended in meekness and lowliness that he is anything less than king of kings and lord of lords it is true as philippians 2 declares that jesus for a time let go of of the prerogative, uh, prerogatives of his deity he thought it not robbery to be equal with god to hold on to all of the qualities of his deity it is true that he humbled himself and And he took on the form of a man, and he died the death of a criminal of men on the cross of Calvary. But it is also true, as Philippians 2 goes on to tell us, that God has already exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And it is true that a day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of god the father There is another triumphal entry coming and an even greater triumphal entry that is coming And when he comes on that occasion his foes will be made his footstool brother may the may the grace of god use our look at this scene before us this morning to to secure And even extend a sweet submission. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess someday that Jesus Christ is Lord. May it be a sweet confession. And may it be the bowing of our hearts now. May there be a sweet surrender to the authority of Jesus Christ. And may looking on this scene and rehearsing this scene also loosen our own tongues and 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 even animate, strengthen, nurture our own faith. And may it cause us to joyfully join our voices in saying, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Let us worship today the King of kings and Lord of lords. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?